Peter Thomas Fornital here. We've got a special show for you today. The first ever mashup between the Final Furlong Podcast and the In the Money Players Podcast. The first voice you'll hear hosting today will be my great friend Emmett Kennedy. But before that, we have a word from one of our partners. For 35 years, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation has been dedicated to saving thoroughbred racehorses no longer able to compete on the racetrack from possible neglect, abuse, and slaughter. The oldest and largest charity in the U.S. devoted to racehorses, the TRF makes a promise of lifelong sanctuary to those horses unable to pursue a second athletic career. Unique within the aftercare industry, the horses of the TRF find their second chance in the role of teachers through the TRF Second Chances Program, which provides vocational training in seven correctional facilities across the U.S. The program is Saving Horses and Saving Lives. Learn more at www.trfinc.org, and please use the special In the Money podcast link to donate, trfinc.org slash players. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you in association with AtTheRaces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Oh, we're mashing up themes, which means we're mashing up shows. Finally, after years of threatening to do so, two podcasts collide. It's the Final Furlong Podcast with your host, Emma Kennedy, along with In The Money's Player Podcast. And not just one, but the entire team is here. Peter Fornital. Hello, my friend. Good to have you back. And if you watched, which I hope you did, the YouTube show... Uh, well, it was available on YouTube, that we told everybody to watch, then you would have seen uh, this was a big kind of professional betters, almost like a poker tournament show. It was quality to watch, pro handicapping. The man alongside Peter Fornatel that day was Jonathan Kitchen. He is a regular on Fox Sports. This man is gold standard. He also knows his stuff. We call him J.K., JK, welcome to the show, my friend. Well, before the show, you told me I had to refer to you as boss, so uh, <laughs> thanks for having me, boss. <laughs> Damn it, JK, you're giving away all the stuff about the egos. We are launching both of these shows off both platforms, uh, so you can listen to this on the In The Money's Players podcast, hence the mixed theme, and of course the Final Forum podcast as well. Uh, for regular listeners in the UK and Ireland, we will be returning to Jumps soon. Uh, all the information that you need about Jumps Racing right now is available on attheraces.com, but the Breeders' Cup and the Melbourne Cup as well, which we'll touch on towards the end, scandalous finish there um it's just so important and it's something that we love that we we got to touch on uh betting wise complete disaster for me jk how did it go for you well i gotta be honest with you i'm i uh i was out in california for the breeders cup and, and i live in austin texas uh but it went well enough that i am I'm currently in las vegas uh doing a little mini celebration on the way back so it was a Good weekend, I'll tell you that much. I'll tell you something. You'd be a dangerous man to play poker with because when you started talking about Texas, I figured you were going to make a reference to like having Ace King, which Doyle Brunson dubbed the long walk to Houston because it's busted so many players. They just overvalue the hands so much and they end up going broke. Uh, but it turns out 
you've made an absolute fortune. Peter Fornatel, did you follow in JK's footsteps? I made a very poor decision, Emmett. I had two groups of friends to, to sit with and play partners with on the day, and I decided to be up in the, in the, the front runner with my friends up there instead of being down in the trophy lounge with JK and the crew. And uh, let's just say this, the fortunes were vastly different. I ground along. We, we gave out some nice stuff on the attheraces.com tips and made enough to have my nose in front for the weekend, but I, but th there were no uh, last-minute on-the-fly trips to Las Vegas for me, let me tell you that much. Well, you were a hero to listeners on the Friday, to be fair, and you did send me that WhatsApp saying gravy, which I just absolutely loved. So at least we were doing okay the Friday. Saturday, eh, not so much. We shall begin by taking a look at a horse who we'd seen at Royal Ascot, and uh, that is Kamari in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. We were all over that horse. She did not deliver on the day, and she did not deliver on the night, but the trainer was indeed walking away with the prize. And uh, Barry and you were very cautious about this four-wheel drive. Um, in the end, the American Pharaoh has gone off favorite. Obviously, American Pharaoh is hugely popular, not only on this side of the Atlantic, but very much so in the States. And Wesley Ward once again proves adept at these five furlong turf horses. He's just very, very hard to beat with them. He had four darts. Um, Four-wheel drive ended off being sent off favorite and was a pretty convincing winner in the end for all that the distance wasn't that clear, Pete, but he was clearly the best horse. Yeah, for me, it, a lot of this came down to, to, to the start. Kamari has developed a little bit of a bad habit of not being so so great out of there. That, that You're going to hear me complaining about breaks in a lot of races at this year's Breeders' Cup. And four-wheel drive got away with alacrity, went to the front, improved his position. Very significant win, I think, for, uh, for American Pharaoh as a stallion. What a great way to cap off a year that's already been so good with a Breeders' Cup win. I imagine uh, th this, this will just make him uh, all that much more popular heading forward as a stallion both here and over there. Particularly given the fact that he can now prove that he can give you precocious juveniles. It's not just going to be about middle distance horses. He can give you precocious horses as well. So you imagine that that's going to, to add to, uh, to the luster and the success. From a, from a going forward perspective, what was your impression of the race, J.K.? Look, I, I thought that Kamari was the one that kind of had the name. You mentioned she ran at Royal Ascot, so uh, that obviously had a lot of people's attention. Um, she was the, the kind of the buzz horse that that won one of the fastest four and a half furlong races ever at Keeneland. So uh, we all knew who she was, and then she had the impressive race last time at, at Keeneland, where she kind of missed the break and came running uh, from last impressively. And so I, um, I think that that the horse players and all kind of focused in on her being the, the kind of the quote-unquote good Wesley Ward. The problem that that a majority of us had was that four-wheel drive was actually faster on paper. The speed figures in both of four-wheel drive's prior races came back faster than anything Kamari had ever run. And so for me, it was very simple. It was one of those two was going to win. The name and the, and the, and the class and, uh, and, the, and the story with Kamari or the speed of four-wheel drive uh, it just so happened to be four-wheel drive, like Pete mentioned. Kamari didn't break all that well, and, and it's a, it's kind of a backwards thing for, for a Wesley Ward runner to have trouble getting away from their well. It's not something we often say. And as we look forward to next season, like, do you see a lot of these horses as being just juveniles, or can you see them developing into potential Royal Ascot-style sprinters who come over and can challenge 
in the King Stand, for example, next season. How do you see these horses developing? I think the key word you said is sprinters. I mean, obviously, um, in American racing with, with the Kentucky Derby being as popular as it is, like with these two-year-olds, the dream is always to get some horse going towards uh, the Kentucky Derby or towards the Kentucky Oaks, those two-turn route races. I, I don't see either one of these horses progressing into that type. That's just not what Wesley does. It's not the kind of horses he gets. It's not the programs that he has. Now, when will one of these show up at Ascot and, and, and run well as a, as a three-year-old? Yeah, I would imagine that's going to be the goal with them. Um, and, and, and I would imagine that, that both of them um, could continue to progress. You know, Wesley had a lot of success early at Ascot with a bunch of cheap horses. And now he's getting real horses. Like, you know, and, and I think that these two would be considered in that category. And I, and I think that uh, there's a, a perfect opportunity for them to go on and and to train at sprint distances. Uh, I wouldn't imagine any of these will be uh, stretching out and uh, and going further than, than a mile. And Pete, before you take us off to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, what about your closing thoughts on the race? I think that's right, especially four-wheel drive makes a ton of sense sense for Ascot. A little bit different than the typical Wesley program of coming out early and trying to get to Ascot as a two-year-old. I feel like this is a little bit of an unknown commodity for Ward, one that comes on time to develop, may have a little bit more room to improve still. I would not be surprised at all if he's priced up for that race, and and uh, probably because the Ward name, not necessarily a, a bet we're going to want to jump on, but I would think we'll see four-wheel drive over there for sure. And then I get to take over hosting. I almost settled right back into uh, into guest mode out of out of habit. There, this is great stuff. And uh, and I get to hold your feet to the fire now, Emmett, and ask some questions. And I'll start off with one. We're talking about the the juvenile turf, but this is more of a theoretical question about Aiden O'Brien runners at the Breeders' Cup in the last couple of years. But I thought it was particularly on evidence this time around. The problems at the gate. Do we think that these problems at the gate that a lot of the Aiden O'Brien runners are having in the USA is something that could be addressed by the Bally Doyle team? Or is there a concern that teaching them to get away from their better might hurt goals uh, the, the rest of the season where it's so important to shut off and settle and gallop? But this galloping style where they don't break well, uh, it it's not really super suited to American racing. And we saw a lot of that, including with Arizona in this race. What's your thoughts, Emmett? Well, there's a few things. It's not necessarily suited to European racing either. Like it's not particularly ideal in the UK and Ireland if you completely miss the kick and you're away slowly. Sometimes the way our races unfold, you can get away with it, particularly if you've got the best horse in the race. But in America... And with regard to these races, because they've become so important to Coolmore as an organization overall, which then obviously includes Bally's Oil, Aidan O'Brien is such a perfectionist that he has taken measures to ensure that this wouldn't happen anymore, which is why this was so surprising. Uh, they bought an American, uh, an actual American stall and in, installed it into Bally's Oil. And so they, they got their horses used to the sound of the bell. Um, because we don't have that here. Uh, you know, the stalls just open and you go, whereas in America, obviously, you have the bell. So he decided that that would be something to work with. But then what we also got was uh, an intern from the Racing Post was doing a video at the all-weather track in Dundalk and inadvertently tweeted a video without fully understanding what he, what he or she was tweeting, which was a barrier trial... Uh, which was all Aiden O'Brien runners, all headed to the Breeders' Cup last year with the bell. And 
they just put it up saying, oh, look, here's Aiden O'Brien horses working out at Dundalk. But actually, it made us all realize, oh, God, Aiden's taking them to the all-weather, like he did with Giants Causeway at Southwell, and, uh, and using the bell so that they will break properly. But for some reason, that did not play out. Now, I, I don't know why. I don't know whether it's a case of that. Some of them did come out well, but an awful lot, like Mount Everest in particular in, in the turf, really blew the start. Um, and Arizona certainly blew the start. He was the slowest away. So whether it was... It can't really be the big occasion because he's been to the Curra. It wouldn't have had anything near the crowd of Santa Anita, but he's gone to Newmarket. Um, he's turned up to big races before. Something has changed or something hasn't quite worked in the way that Aiden would have liked it to. But the fact is that they have in place at Belly Doyle a system where they can train these horses ideally for undulating tracks. It's it's designed to replicate Epsom, but they also have the American style stuff there as well. They they have an actual American gate with the bells and whistles. So the second the horse breaks, they're hearing the bells. So they know what to expect. And yet, Arizona and a significant number of others totally blew the start. And why, I don't know. Um, I did notice a lot of criticism for Ryan Moore on social media on the night. I think that's absolute nonsense. I wouldn't blame him for a second. But he did lose the race at the start. And if it were not for that, I think he could have walked away with the prize here. I wonder if it wouldn't be worth uh, them considering bringing in a consultant from... The, the USA side, some old gate crew person or something to help work with them with their setup. And even if the gate has the bell, I'd also want it to be the same gate. Our starting gates are so much narrower. I wonder, I mean, we're getting into the weeds here, but I, no, I wonder it, if, it, if it should be looked at. It know, is an American gate. They, they shipped over an American gate. They, they, bought, yeah. they bought one from, don't ask me what race course, but they, they may have even just bought one direct from a gate supplier. But it's, it's an actual American gate. It's not just that they added the... Uh, that they added the the bell to the top of it. It's got it's it's specifically designed to replicate everything in America. So you'll you'll have noticed that in the last few years things had improved with Bally Doyle horses. They were getting out quicker. Like Mendelssohn broke quickly um, in the in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, but for some reason that didn't happen this time around. And it's just it's odd. It's very very odd that it. It, that it happened with so many of them. If it was one or two, you'd go, oh, all right. But it was consistent, and, and that's surprising. I'm a huge Ryan Moore fan, obviously, in the conversation for greatest jockey in the world. I know, JK, you were surprised when we were hanging around the the, the breakfast marquee in the mornings uh, for the workouts after the team had arrived, that just uh, physically how different the European riders especially more looked. I think the audience here would be interested to, to hear you expound on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest. It's a, it's a saying I like to use. It's it, You probably uh, have never heard it on that side of the world, but I like to say he's yoked up like egg batter. He was, man, he was, <laughs> he looked like a little like full back or something in, in American football. I was surprised how strong he was, uh, how, how physical he looked. And, um, and look, uh, I, and we have some athletic looking guys too. Don't get me wrong. Joel Rosario obviously is, is one who who stands out, but uh, Ryan Moore, he, he really stuck out to me when I saw him in person. 
yoked up and can have very different connotations by the way and i can uh, absolutely <laughs> i can absolutely uh, categorically uh, state that ryan moore is in no way yoked up whatsoever but the, the idea that he could be compared to emmett smith or a running back from the dallas cowboys from back in the day just <laughs> it's quite interesting that he could be like uh, an nfl fullback or running back um yeah it's obviously your your jockey so or just do they punish themselves more? Or are they just much thinner? Um, as far as I know, I mean, Pete would probably be able to answer that question better as far as the weight differences that that uh, what, what our guys ride at and what yours, guys and gals, excuse me, ride at versus yours. So I think the USA riders are generally smaller human beings, uh, given that they're, they're coming from parts of the world where uh, the, the average person is, uh, is typically smaller. And obviously body size is going to affect what skill set you have as a rider. And Emmett, you already tipped your hand on this, but it did make me wonder. And again, this isn't to impugn Ryan Moore at all, of whom I'm a massive fan. But is it possible for this style of racing that one of the really completely expert grade one uh, gate jockeys might have a, a different result than, than Moore is having with some of these runners? Again, not to criticize him, but just because the skill set needed for the racing that he's doing uh, every other day of the year. But these two is a little bit different than these tight two-turned ovals. So here's the thing. Ryan Moore is a guy who's won pretty much everything around the world. Every single race that you can mention, including the Melbourne Cup, which we, we just saw run overnight. We're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Um, he's won it. If you can name it, he's won it. So to then turn around and criticize the guy can seem a bit harsh. But that being said, we on the Final Furlong Podcast th- did indeed criticize Ryan Moore because he had a terrible season for the vast majority of it. He was out of sorts. He was out of form. He was making the wrong decisions at the wrong time. It seemed as though he was overthinking it. I don't know why that was. I don't know what it was was going on that that was causing that, but something wasn't right. And towards the end of the season, he suddenly was getting himself back into the winner's enclosure because he reverted to keeping it simple. But you make a very good point that keeping it simple in Ireland and the UK and to a certain extent France does not necessarily mean that that will play to Santa Anita's strengths, where it's a tight turning track and draw is key and pace is key and you have to, to play the hand you're dealt. I think Arizona's race was gone at the start. You know, he's been sent off a 2-1 to favourite. A lot of people are going to be frustrated that he's been beaten. But once he blows the start like that, it's game over. Um, we did see... Um, Aiden O'Brien's some of Aiden O'Brien's juveniles get away with that in the past hit at a bomb being a, a very famous example of kind of blowing the start having to come from an impossible draw and, and go and win but I don't really think that you could in your if, if you're Michael Tabor Derek Smith John Magner that you can sit down to Ryan Moore and say hey you're our number one guy and loads of people in Japan and Hong Kong want to use you and they, you want to be sought after in Maidan and in Australia. But when it comes to America, we're going to look at, at somebody else to be our number one rider. Like, there's a reason that Frankie Dettori is in demand for the Breeders' Cup. There's a reason that other people want to utilize Ryan Moore. I think it hasn't been an easy season for him. There has to be a reason for that. We don't quite know what it is. But he improved towards the end of the season and... I would I would hold the blame at the trainer and the jockey as much as anybody else because you made a very good point. Some of these horses weren't coming out of the stalls correctly. We know that Aidan O'Brien has a system in place to ensure that 
that should happen. It wasn't. Um, and it's not like the other Aiden O'Brien horses were, were flying under Wayne Lorden either. So I think that you have to trust the guy you have. It's like when an American jockey comes over. We made a, a good point the other day with Barry Faulkner that Yutaki Taki is somebody who's come in for an awful lot of criticism in the past. And it's just because the British press, and to a certain extent the Irish press, like to gang up on the foreign jockeys because it's easy because we're not going to see them for another six months. We may not see them for another year. So let's all have it. We'll pile in on them, have a go at them, and then they're, they're gone. Uh, whereas if you're having a go at Ryan Moore every single day, and then you've got to go interview him, it's a different story. But Ryan himself will tell you it's been a difficult season. But he's also had so much success globally, not, not just at the Breeders' Cup, but around the world. And I just think you have to trust the guy to, to get it right. And these were two days, and there were two days that didn't go to plan for Bally Doyle for whatever reason. We got to talk about the winner of this race, Structor for Chad Brown, showing once again that it's his world and we just all live in it. JK, what did you think of Structor's performance in this race and what do you think might be next for him? Yeah, I was, I was against Structor, um, you know, obviously uh, being in Saratoga all summer and, and focusing mostly on American racing. We, we have this big, uh, 800 pound gorilla in the room that I would imagine you guys would compare to Aiden O'Brien and Chad Brown and, any opportunity that I find to try to beat Chad, I, I do. And it's not because it's a personal thing. It's because he's often overbet and he's offered often a, a much shorter price than he should be, uh, regardless of his actual chances of winning. And I just thought structure was a great opportunity to try to, to try to do that. And, uh, and funny enough, it, 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 it bit me, um, on the way back. So it, and look, and then in hindsight, you feel like an idiot, right? It's like, Oh, I, I didn't use Chad Brown with a turf <laughs> horse in a two-year-old turf race. Um, single digits, but, um, there's been some, some, some chatter that maybe the, the dirt is going to actually end up being the, the best surface for structure. So I would actually expect that one to move forward when he tries the dirt. Um, I'd imagine I'll continue trying to beat him, uh, if he shows up on the turf with that perfect trip. That seemed to be the, the talking point afterwards was that he'd worked very, very well on the dirt and that that's going to be the plan for next season. And he's out of a more than ready mare. So, I was against him as well. It, it blew up in my face. But then again, you've got a 66 to one shot finishing in second. So you can't feel too bad about it. I, I go back to the start and think that if Arizona breaks well, um, and it, it could sound like sour grapes, but I think if he breaks well, he, he wins. I, I would take him as the, as the better horse. And I'd bear in mind that the Derby winner, Massar, ran in this race, that Anthony Van Dyke won the Derby. He ran in this race. I wouldn't rule out Arizona as being a Group 1 contender next season just because he didn't perform here. You know, he's been second to Pinatubu. He's the best juvenile that we've seen for a decade at least. That takes nothing away from Frankel. Pinatubu is a better horse as a juvenile than Frankel was. That's just a fact. And um, if he could get that close to him at Newmarket last time, then he's a horse to be respected. Could have been the result of a long season, but his race was over once he didn't break properly. I agree completely, and I think with that, I can hand it back to you to move it along to the 7th from Santa Anita on Friday. Which means we can kind of ring the bell for Barry Faulkner as a winner-winner chicken dinner. Uh, British Idiom was a very confident selection for our man Barry. Uh, I'm pretty certain that we talked to Donna Volche as well, so maybe Box Exact is there uh, for the Barry team. Uh, daughter flashback, British Idiom, wins by a neck. She just about got it done. Um, back on the dirt. This was a really, really thrilling finish, JK. And it's kind of the finish that you can only get on the dirt. It was a, it was a real thrill ride. 
No, it was. It was. It was. A, it was a grind all the way down to the finish. Um, look, I, often I, I make the mistake of not praising the the winner enough and, and giving some other horse that ran second or third credit. But I thought what Dona Veloce did and kind of overcoming and answering the questions that a lot of people had about how far she actually would want to run if she was going to be able to to negotiate a trip from that inside rail um, as a inexperienced horse, you know, making her second start. I thought she ran tremendous. And then British Idiom just you know, just kind of ground away and, and just kept coming and kept coming. Uh, good for those connections. I, I don't think we saw the Kentucky Oaks winner, uh, which which sometimes can be the case when we come out of the juvenile Phillies race. Um, I, I think that this race was a little bit hungry at, at the end when it comes to speed figure and and uh, and maybe how good these are. Uh, but you can't knock a horse who, who gets a job done in, in the first Friday in November. And Pete, remind me, had you followed in our man Barry Faulkner? Yes, you you went to me first, giving me the opportunity to nick the tip for myself. But since Barry had been talking about that one for weeks, I deferred and let him uh, let him go first. But yeah, this was a nice one for us and a nice one for for at the races as well. I agree with what J.K. was saying in terms of the who knows, but the future uh, brilliant performances of this group might just be Dona Veloce going shorter. This was an, in a second career start to run this well, maybe got a little tired late. All credit to British Idiom for being best on the day, and certainly she may have a future the way some of these Brad Cox runners have trained on. But Dona Veloce, very interesting, uh, maybe for a race like the Test at Saratoga next summer. I wish there were future books for, for that. That would be one that might be fun to get on now. There has been a, a theme in American racing recently where we've seen unraced juveniles come out and take classics has there been any talk of horses that we've yet to see like potentially well-bred horses that maybe that 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 main man um mr burger king himself i got a <laughs> superstar he tends to do this quite a bit uh, top pleasure anybody like that have, have a horse that we've yet to see JK, you're more up on the gossip. You've got you've got uh, Bob Baffert on speed dial. You walk around with that silver wig of yours. Is he is he let you know if he's got one that he's excited about busting out in uh, November or or December for the Triple Crown Trail next year? Or are you sworn to secrecy? No, I, I think well, I'm all yeah, I'm sworn to secrecy, but I, I can uh, I can reveal it here if you guys just don't tell anyone. No, <laughs> I, you know I think that that the you know eight rings was was a part of the group of horses uh, that uh, SF Bloodstock and starlight all uh, purchased with donato lani pulling the trigger on, on on a lot of those horses and and eight rings obviously was the one who kind of progressed and and went on at, at the early stages but there's there's supposedly one by the name of mohawk uh that i know they like quite a bit so i would imagine that he'll show up uh, uh later this year or uh earlier next year and, and be one of those horses that could progress on the triple crown trail okay make a note of it and you're at the races tracker mohawk not the aiden o'brien one the unraced American one, and we can take it from there. Uh, Pete, that means we'll head straight on to the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf. I'll start off with, we'll get to the winner in a minute, something else we can crow about if we want, but uh, but my question for you, Emmett, we'll see if you're picking up what I'm laying down here. Have we seen the Oaks winner? And I'm not talking about the Kentucky one like JK before, I'm talking about Epsom. Yeah, I think we have. Uh, I think we have. Um you, know, you talk about Ryan Moore and uh, and the criticism that he was getting, and, and I think that was unfair. I also think it's a little bit unfair to to have too much of a go at Shane Foley as well, even though you're you're talking about somebody who's on a four to one shot, um, certainly on our side of the Atlantic, 
in terms of the prices, but Albina looks every single inch a stare. And that was the thing that Barry was highlighting on the podcast as well. Uh, box executive Barry Faulkner on Thursday's Breeders' Cup preview, or Wednesday's Breeders' Cup preview, I should say, that when she won the pre-Marcel Buzek at Paris Longchamp last time out, that she did take a while to get into gear and that that could cost her around Santa Anita, where it's such a nippy track, where it's such a tight turning track that she couldn't really afford to repeat that. And I thought she might get away with it on better ground. Possibly a hard race last time out took its toll as well, but she was poorly positioned throughout the race, which didn't do her any favors. She's 14 to 1 for the Guineas. I think she's double figures for the Oaks as well. I wouldn't have the Guineas in my mind for her at all. It's all about the Oaks with this horse. She's going to want... She wants the mile now. She probably stayed 10 furlongs now. And 12 furlongs... If she, if she doesn't take Epsom, she will take the Curra. Unless Aidan O'Brien introduces something late on, unless there's a, a UK horse to, to develop late on the scene, this is the leading contender in my mind, firmly in my mind, to take the Oaks next season. And it's not just because she's an Iarcos horse. She's just got all the tools. She's got everything that, that you need. And uh, I think she's got the, the Oaks written all over. I think she's, she's the perfect winter anti-post bet to keep you warm. <laughs> I love that concept. JK, we'll have you talk about the winner sharing for Graham Motion. I'll tell you what, I'm really just impressed uh, how well Emmett pronounced whatever he said in French. I, I would have butchered that. <laughs> the, the joke there is, by the way, that I normally completely butcher all French pronunciations, but I'll take that, JK. Thank you very much. Well, maybe you did, maybe you did butcher it. I'm just so far away from France that I didn't even realize it. <laughs> JK. JK, you usually have enough trouble with English, so we'll leave the French to them. <laughs> um, you know, I think Sharing's a great example of a of a of a talented turf horse who um, excelled on the dirt. And, and and our buddy Paul Matisse, a professional player over here in, in the U.S. And, and one of the most successful and the most intelligent that I've ever been around, pointed that out to me that that it's a different kind of talent when you can have a turf horse that will dirt. And Sharing showed that up in Saratoga when there was a race that came off the turf and, and she won impressively going seven furlongs on the dirt, that was kind of the, our, our first clue that she could be special. Um, she ran well first out going five and a half with a pedigree that su- suggested she wanted to go further. Um, and I think she's the type of filly that will continue to train on and, and possibly do some really fun things um, along the way. Um, she's the type of horse that, that I could see some, uh, some ambitions in, in her life. Uh, you know, she's got a very game group uh, possibly at some point ending up uh over there on your, on your side of the world. Good stuff. Emmett, I'm not sure there's too much more to discuss there. If we want to get on to the featured race of future stars Friday, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Yeah, the TVG Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Uh, we obviously were devastated that our horse ended up being scratched, but it didn't really matter in the end because the, the story kind of turned into being all about Brittany Yurton and the fact that, A, she can be a fantastic broadcaster because... She interviewed her dad, and um, to quote one of the leading British racing journalists, Dave Yates, he had no idea she was interviewing her father. And (laughs) that gives you an example of how professional she is. But Storm the Court, by Court Vision, um, takes the race at 50s with a 28-to-1 shot back in second and a 40s back in third. If you had the trifecta, good luck to you. 
the favorite completely bombed out eight rings wasn't much better this was a this was a real turn up for the books it's not just the fact that you've got a big priced winner but this race was completely flipped on its head Pete. it was crazy and you know for us it was all over after the start we talked about maxfield on the show without maxfield in the race dennis's moment became the clear choice it was actually one of the larger win bets i've ever made in my life when Dennis's moment was available at uh, three to two or so early in the morning after the the scratch of Maxfield. And uh, I didn't get much of a run. We were standing on the first turn. He walked out of there and then he came running by us and had just been um, absolutely crushed with kickback. He was, uh, you could, you could see just how covered in, in dirty was. And, and I, I didn't even watch the end of the race. I I just went to, uh, I went to to go ahead and, and get another beer. I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't blame you at all. But seeing as you are in Vegas, by any chance, JK, were you on board this 50 to 1 shot? <laughs> uh, I can assure you that I was not uh, on board uh, with, with this one. Um, and if, 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 uh, if they gave me the uh, almanac and had me uh, run again, I, I, you know, I'd probably still miss the race. I, <laughs> look, I, uh, good for them. Good for the rooting for Brittany and, and her family. Uh, and Pete does a great job. And, and he's a They've become a little bit of uh, giant killers in these juvenile races, uh, pulling off a big upset with Champagne Room for his first Beers Cup win, and then this one will storm the court. Um, you know, I, I don't really have a lot to add to what Pete said. I, I, I don't think that any of these three horses will are going to train on to be anything special. Um, I, I think that they were, you know, they were kind of good at the time and, and, and took advantage of of two favorites that uh, either weren't doing as great or didn't have uh, didn't have the, the, an ideal trip. So. Um, Dennis's moment getting beat was was very painful for me as, as I was participating in the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. But, um, you know, no big deal. It, it happens from time to time. I was right a lot last weekend, and that was uh, my biggest bet and uh, obviously the one I was the most wrong about. Sounds like you're over it, though. You had a big, massive sigh there in the middle of talking about that race. So it sounds like you've made a full recovery from it. Um, hopefully, you'll, you'll be all right. You'll be okay. You're in Vegas, man. You're fine. You did considerably better than Pete and I. Anyway, I can guarantee you that. Uh, that's one of the reasons I was asking about, is there an unraced juvenile that either of you have heard wicked whispers about? Because, God, like Maxfield is obviously a horse that we want to see again. And are we going to see him towards the end of the season, Pete? Because when you're looking forward to next year and the Kentucky Derby is something that we get swept away with because it's on the same weekend as the 2000 and 1000 guineas. It'll be live on Sky Sports Racing. But you look at this and you're not exactly putting anything in the at the races tracker saying that'll win the Derby next year. No, Derby-wise, Maxfield will stay on the list. I don't know if he'll come out again. There's a couple of opportunities where that could happen, one in New York, one in Kentucky. But I feel like the biggest buzz horse for the Kentucky Derby next year at this exact moment is a horse called Tis the Law that we saw run at Saratoga and was so good and so impressive there. Connections decided to bypass the juvenile, preferring to get a run over the Churchill Oval. They'll come out there. It could be more than just uh, future book favoritism on the line in that spot. It could be two-year-old champion. It's very wide open at this point in the USA, and it'll be interesting to see if either Maxfield or Tis the Law uh, I think both might have a chance to to secure it with an impressive win later this season. And I think you're right to keep an open mind about some late arriving juveniles. It seems like more and more horses are able to come out late and and win the Derby. Those, those old trends of wanting to have a certain amount of starts at two, 
that stuff for me is all out the window as we roll into 2020 and beyond. Yeah, I remember reading those old stats about uh, betting on American racing. You have to have raced as a juvenile. You have to have had a certain amount of starts. No unraced horse had won a classic for... Uh, no unraced juvenile had won a classic for... Uh, that's all gone. It's, modern training methods mean that horses can be fitter um, without hitting the race course. So, yeah, that, that's all done with. Um, on Sky Sports Racing, before the Breeders' Cup kicked off, if you'll indulge me very quickly, gentlemen, we had the Virtum Futurity Stakes at Newcastle. And um, there was a bit of controversy about this race because it was rescheduled from Doncaster, where it's normally run, to the all-weather. So it became the first ever... Group one all-weather race to be raced in the UK and Ireland, which in itself was fascinating. But one of the controversies was that at Doncaster, it was all Aidan O'Brien and one trainer, that trainer being Andrew Balding. And people were complaining about the fact that, well, why aren't other trainers turning up? In the end, Rafe Beckett, Emmett, Emmett Mullins, John Gosden, William Haggis, Jim Bulger, they all made the trip over, but none of them could match not only Aidan O'Brien, but more importantly, Andrew Balding. Kamenko absolutely bolted up to such an extent that I suspect had it been run at Doncaster, he'd have done the exact same thing. Uh, O'Shea Murphy kept it simple. He's by Kitten's Joy, so he's got that American angle as well. And he looks like a very, very exciting prospect. But I would just add, and this could be seen as very, being very, very selfish, but Mogul was a horse that we talked about on the podcast in the Breeders' Cup preview because we were getting such a big price about him. He's got a beautiful middle-distance pedigree. I would forgive him this. I would very much keep him in mind for the Derby trials next season. I, I suspect he'll win one, and then it's all about the Derby. And keep him in mind. Don't forget about Mogul for next year. He's got, he's got the requirements that are needed to go and win uh, the Derby. So Kamenko definitely deserved winner on the day. No question about it, but keep Mogul in mind uh, as we go forward. This then brings us on to the Saturday, gentlemen. Yes. Before we completely move on, that it is no surprise you were impressed with Brittany Erton's fine work because it's a well-known fact that Kennedy loves women. <laughs> that was tweeted to me several times when I, when I sent out what I thought was a thoughtful, nice tweet to say, about top-class broadcasting, hashtag Kennedy loves women. It's like, all right, okay, great. <laughs> we started off the Breeders' Cup races on Saturday with the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. JK, we talked about this race briefly before. I know you think it's one of the shortlist candidates for best ride of the two days. Uh, give us a little bit of a reflection on this year's Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Well, all I can think about the Philly and Mare Sprint is that, you know, Pete, you're supposed to be some – international man with friends all over the world and all kinds of different places. And, you know, you're, you're, you're famous over there in the UK with your exploits <laughs> with the jacket the, this summer. Uh, but you couldn't find a way to get us down on Kofefi when we called our shot in May that she was going <laughs> to win this race. You, you had no one that could uh, help us in that civilized country to, to get down a, uh, a uh, anti-post wager. I'm a little bit disappointed in that. It was it was shameful, shameful behavior on my part not to have not to make more of this opinion. And I know for you and me. Well, no, you were smart. You you stuck to your guns. Uh, and I, I believe in a lot of wagers ended up uh, only using Kofefi here. I did get a little bit intimidated by the rail draw. But thanks to this brilliant ride by Joel Rosario, it was no problem. How good do you think this Kofefi is, and where do we go from here? 
I think she's pretty good. And funny, funny enough, she's she's so good that she uh, she actually got us on on CNN in a positive way. I don't know if you saw the show yet, but uh, they did a little piece where they had kind of poked fun at where the name came from, and and they they played our friend Travis Stone's call where he said uh, uh, she trumped the competition. So um, yeah, it was really. He, he said he she said she trumped the competition. She ran. Huge. When I say huge, I mean I'm saying huge, huge without the H. Huge. Oh, very good. Um, Emma, what, what I think she's special. Yeah. You think she's special going forward? Do you think we're going to see her a lot next year? I do. I, I think she's the type. I think that uh, we'll, we'll see her around. I feel like she's really kind of answered the bell about a lot of things. I think a lot of times there was a world in which we wondered if she'd go seven, and she and she ran. She won two of our most prestigious seven furlong races on the dirt the test up at Saratoga and then obviously the Philly and Mare sprint. So uh, she locked up a lot of divisions. Uh, she locked up, I think three-year-old Philly of the year. I think that, uh, that uh, trophy eclipse trophy will be coming home with her. And then also obviously the female sprinter. So I think she's a really, really cool horse. Um, and, and you're right. Joel Rosario was masterful in his ride. The inside has typically not been the place you want to be at, at, at Santa Anita. It was seemed to be a little bit more fair uh, this weekend, but Joel broke from the inside took back let the others go and if you watch the nbc feed by the time they've gone about a furlong he's already in the three path in the clear and to me that was the winning move Emmett, a quick thought from you about this one before we move on to races that, that your half of the audience will be more interested in i was just absolutely delighted for brad cox two winners at the breeders cup and this horse the greatest ever the most talented of all time fantastic <laughs> There's a witch hunt going on, but I still win at the Breeders' Cup. <laughs> oh, we got to leave that alone. We don't do politics on our on our show. But politics? We'll, uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> hand it right back to you for this Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Uh, yes, the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint went to uh, Belvere Bay. Um, so this was this was a proper proper uh, turf sprint this time around, um, and. There was like a blanket finish as well, JK. Uh, I was nowhere near the winner here. Uh, I'm pretty certain that, yeah, Empress was, was mine way back in sixth. Uh, we'll talk about Frankie and his unlucky weekend uh, a little bit later on. But what did you make of the winner of Belvoir Boy or Belvoir Bay even? Well, before I, I, I talk about her, but I, I do want to ask you, do you prefer the flat five furlong turf sprint for the Breeders' Cup or, or are you a fan uh, of the six and a half? Do you like to see... Uh, the European horses come over and, and, and try that downhill course. Honestly, I like the six and a half. I like to see the, the Euros come over. And sometimes we come over and get absolutely destroyed. And that happened with us this year as well on, on the turf courses that we were quite arrogant. Well, I'll, I'll admit that. I was very, very confident about a lot of our horses coming over. But I do prefer the six and a half. I understand why they couldn't do that at, at Santa Anita. But I, I think that the six and a half is just... A much more interesting oh I, I, I love the downhill yeah I, I prefer it it's actually my favorite uh, probably my favorite uh, configuration in American racing so hopefully we can find a way to, to, to get that back in action but um, yeah look you know Belvoir Bay was the type that she didn't really have a lot of recent form that made you say she's going to be a Breeders' Cup Sprint winner uh, turf sprint winner but she did have a couple of good races in the past and she was being trained by I guess we have to call the king of turf sprints now since he's won three of these in a row and peter miller i thought she was drawn outside i thought she had speed which would be dangerous going the flat five 
with a short run into that turn. I felt like she'd be aggressively ridden from that far outside post. What else are they going to do from out there? And um, she was one that, that I was fortunate enough to use, although I didn't make any money on her because I missed later in the dirt mile. But um, Peter Miller uh, clearly clearly said, hey, Wesley Ward, I, 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 call your, I call your bet and I raise you. <laughs> yeah, I, I quite like that analogy, by the way. Um, in terms of how the race played out, like Stormy Liberal had won the last two of these, um, ends up being sent off a 12 shot, and Peter Miller ends up having the one-two, but without Stormy Liberal. How did we not end up playing some kind of box exacta here, combination box exacta, Pete? On I'll tell you how come I didn't do that, Emmett, is I was late to the party on recognizing how well the Miller barn was doing. And, uh, and I think basically before the race was trying to log on to the, to the Santa Anita Wi-Fi. I was too far from a window trying to log on to the Wi-Fi and place a bet and, and got shut out. I wasn't going to be clever enough to play the exacta, but I was going to do a little bit of, uh, additional, uh, adding to the, the wagers that we talked about on the show, pure sensation and infamous. I was looking to add a little bit of, of the ones that ended up running one, two. So I came to the, which is honestly just as well, because what a horrible story it would be if I came on here and told you, oh yeah, by the way, those horses I didn't mention on the show, we actually hit. So I probably got what I deserved. I wasn't smart enough to figure it out far enough in advance and, and ended up taking one on the chin. But a note that must be mentioned is the incredible narrative around Belvoir Bay. This is a horse, Emmett, that I don't know if this would have made the news over there, but this was a horse that was lost and presumed dead in the San Luis Rey fires the other year. was oh basically gosh. unaccounted for for two days comes back into training, ends up with a Breeders' Cup win. Just a, a, an incredible narrative uh, for, for the sport. And I remember the footage because uh, people were, were videoing on their phones and there were men and there were women running into the fires to rescue the horses. And all you could do was just basically release them, just let them go uh, and trust that they would be okay just to get them out as quickly as possible. So horrific experience terrible for the horse and connections that she was missing for two days and then she goes and wins a grade one at the breeders cup that's phenomenal it's a fabulous narrative definitely the stuff that movies are made of she was in that group of horses that was let go and to come back and do this it just it's one of the i mean it really should be a novel or a film take that animal rights activists as we move along welfare is a hugely important important thing for racing that's fantastic that really is the big ass fans breeders cup dirt mile and this was a result from a form study perspective from a handicapping perspective i think there is a an important lesson JK, I want to talk about uh, Omaha Beach in a, in a minute, but let's start off with Spun to Run and, uh, and and the fact that he gets this done for Juan Carlos Guerrero. What, what did you think of it? Yeah, you know, this is I feel kind of stupid about this one. Um, on paper, he had a, a brilliant performance back at Parks, uh, you know, one of our smaller tracks, not a Saratoga, not a King one. Um, and he had a big number there, and I think a lot of people probably didn't believe the number. Uh, and I'm actually the, the dummy that believed the number and still didn't use the horse. I, you know, he, he he wasn't as good as Omaha Beach. He wasn't as good as Mr. Money in that the figure was still a little bit false. And one of the ways I checked that is I just saw that other horses in that race had run good or better numbers 
out of that race to confirm that that number that was given was actually true, and he proved it. He went to the front. Uh, Irad Ortiz, this is one of his four winners on the on the weekend, and uh, he he went to the front and he he made me pay for that mistake. Omaha Beach for me, and I want to get your thought on this too, Emmett. It was a very rare situation of a horse that ran really really well without ever looking like winning. Uh, I know Mike Smith complained about. The break, it wasn't the best break, that's for sure. Certainly not as sharp as you'd expect coming out of that sprint race. Um, and then it looked to me like he made a tactical decision to to stay pretty far behind. I don't know, maybe he thought Spun to Run was, was going to definitely be coming back to the pack. But uh, in the end, ultimately disappointing for my biggest wager on Saturday in Omaha Beach. What were your thoughts? Well, the sectionals were interesting because it was fast early, but then obviously the the jockey on the on the winner, Irad Ortiz Jr. has has slowed things down. So credit to him that he's done things brilliantly, particularly when Mike Smith was then complaining afterwards about how things had had uh, had gone. I don't think he's anything to to complain about. I think the Oracle called this absolutely spot on on the final forum podcast on Wednesday. Barry Faulkner said that Omaha Beach may very well regress. I think he was quite confident that that the horse would regress from that performance last time out. It was a big number, um, and he wasn't convinced that Mandela's horse would would come on. And Mandela's got a a fantastic record at Santa Anita, but he's yet to add a Breeders' Cup dirt mile for whatever reason to his CV. And you're right. To me, it never looked like Omaha Beach was, was getting there. I thought it was a beautiful ride from Irad Ortiz on Sponsoron. He just played things to perfection and particularly and that's one of the fascinating things about american racing that i I really love and it's one of the really interesting things about frankie dettori having gone over there as a young man learning his trade in the states and then coming back and you watch how many times he wins from the front watch how many times he plays races with the clock in his head Uh, and there's plenty of other jockeys who've done the same who've come back and learned from australian racing and american racing and applied that to UK and Irish racing. This was just a, a marvelous ride. Great training performance as well. I wouldn't take anything away from from the trainer, but I think that Omaha Beach probably had probably left the Breeders' Cup behind in the last race, and Irad Ortiz just ensured that it was going to be almost impossible for Mike Smith to win with the way he he rode the race. That's my take on it, anyway. All right, we can now hand it back to you, Emmett, for the lone uh, Irish triumph on the weekend. Go on, Ireland, boy! Ho-ho! And Irish eyes are smiling! <laughs> Not mine, because I didn't back this horse. Um, <laughs> much to my frustration, Fleeting came out, but Iridessa, who has been a fantastic story for Joseph O'Brien. Joseph, I thought, was was all class after the Melbourne Cup, particularly today, but this horse won a Group 1 as a juvenile. She took a, a Group 1 back at the Curra uh, when she won the Pretty Polly Stakes, beating Magic Wand. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that form. She's a winner on Champion Stakes Day when she takes the Matron Stakes, so she's winning over all kinds of different distances. And back to the 10 furlongs in the Phillies and Mares Turf, I think we did mention that you could argue she was too big a price, um, particularly when Fleeting came out. She was definitely too big, but alas, too late for me to act as my, my bets were already placed. This was a fantastic ride from Wayne Lorden. This was a, a situation where he's played to the horse's strength. She probably wasn't at her best on soft ground in the Sun Chariot last time out. But the combination of Lasix and the sand surface and a fantastic ride from Wayne Lorden just proved too much and this was an example of where the Europeans 
had just a little bit too much firepower on, on the turf. That being said, you've got two American horses plying in behind. I'm sure that there'll be plenty of talk about Sister Charlie, but for me, Iridesa was just the best horse in the race, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't stick with her. It was a, a bit of a foolish decision on my part, but great story. Joseph O'Brien is only the second man to ride a winner and train a winner. Youngest ever winning rider at the Breeders' Cup. Youngest ever winning trainer at the Breeders' Cup. The stats speak for themselves. This is the future master of Belly Doyle. I don't think Aidan O'Brien will retire for a very, very, very long time. But Joseph has an exciting dual-purpose training career ahead of him. He'll dominate in the jumps. He'll dominate on the flat. And when the time comes, the baton will be handed to him. He'll take over a belly oil and uh, the O'Brien dynasty will continue. And don't let anybody tell you that this has been handed to him. It hasn't. He's worked exceptionally hard. He pushed his body to the absolute brink as a jockey. And uh, he's up at the break of dawn. He travels the world. He's at the sales. He's busting his gut as a trainer and making a, a huge success of it. And to add the Breeders' Cup Phillies and Mares turf, to his illustrious CV as a trainer is something else, but to only be the second person to ride and train a winner at the Breeders' Cup is a measure of the man, I think. Now, there's good news, bad news, Emmett. The, the, the bad news is you were supposed to be hosting that race and you left absolutely no meat on the bone for either JK and I to add anything because you analyzed it so perfectly. Sorry but about the that. Good news, <laughs> but the good news is, uh, you know, I've got some childcare responsibilities in about 30 minutes. So I'd say <laughs> just move it right back along to uh, to this year's Breeders' Cup Spring. Or, or, yes, sir. We, get, we have to give uh, Vasilika a call. This yeah, you're right. Mare, this is a mare that well in American racing was entered in a claim for a claiming tag of fifty or forty thousand dollars at some point of her career. Uh, the connections came in and got her uh, at that lower level, and she she came on to win a bunch of graded stakes, a couple of grade ones, and uh, she was a dis- we were, we dismissed her. Pete and I both did in this race, and she ran so well that she just needed to at least have her name be mentioned for such a gutsy uh, gutsy mare that she is you're absolutely right what a great local mark fighting all the way down to the line and since we're going a little bit deep into it jk just a quick thought from you on sister charlie oh look i mean she feels like one of those horses that like she doesn't owe us anything she's been magnificent ever since she came over here um she's beat me sometimes i've singled her sometimes in multi-race bets um so there's some highs and some lows with her uh but she's a phenomenal racehorse and yeah, and I'm glad we got to see her running. It's unfortunate that she didn't uh, get the job done uh, at Santa Anita, but I, I don't really have any excuse. Um, just wasn't her day. Just feels like one of those days where she woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and 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 that's what we got from her. We'll have to see if they persevere with her. If she's ready for her next career, time will, will tell with that one. But I think we should now move it along to the Breeders' Cup Sprint, and one that we can uh, one that we can hold our heads up high on for for how we described on both shows. Emmett, what is your uh, history with this race? Uh, American American dirt sprinting, is it something that you uh, that you enjoy watching? And, and what did you think of the, the winner here? I love watching these races. And I remember backing Big Drama and Run Happy. Uh, I remember backing Roy H, if we want to do the total after timing. And that year, Invisor won the Breeders' Cup Classic. I backed the winner of the Breeders' Cup Sprint simply because he was coming out of stall one. 
and he was a massive price and there was a draw bias on on the on the inside um so it's it's a race i always enjoy watching I, i'm not going to pretend for a second that i'm detailed into the form here uh, and that i i know all about u.s sprint form but it is a race that i'm very interested in watching and I, I do love dirt racing as well i'm very much like nick luck in that i think dirt racing needs to be preserved and and protected because there's a there's a legacy there's a dynasty there and while we didn't have roy h and while we didn't have imperial hint we had mitual and we had chance a lot and they both um gave us a, a tremendous finish to a what i thought was a, a fantastic race and chance looked for a second like the Shanghai Bobby was going to get there, but Mitual ultimately just had too much for Steve Musmusen and for Ricardo. What a campaign for Matoli winning the, the Met Mile and winning this race. I feel like in the end, there's another whose resume might be too strong, but I don't know, JK. I, I think he certainly deserves serious consideration for course of the year. What do you think? Yeah, look, I, I feel like Bricks is probably going to get it. But I tell you what, you're right. Matoli deserves a lot of a lot of conversations. I, I, I want people voting on this to spend more time on this race than the others because there's a real argument to be made uh, that Matoli could be horse of the year. You know, he, he won the grade one Churchill Downs sprint seven furlongs on Derby Day he, it, it, where a lot of people didn't think he was going to stretch out, stretch out. He won the, the Met Mile. He won the Forgo and he won the Breeders' Cup sprint. And he did all of them pretty impressively. He didn't he didn't have any walkovers and, and every performance. And, then, and like Emmett said, with dirt racing being kind of our king in, in the U.S., there's got to be a little bit of an upgrade to the dirt performances versus the turf ones that bricks and mortar navigated. And look, if I had to vote right now, I would probably go with bricks. Probably. But, you know, give me a couple of Coronas and and, uh, and maybe that, that decision could change. Is there is there any chance, J.K., that they might decide to go for the Pegasus with this horse. Is there any upside to going one mile one with Matuel? I would, man, I would love it. I, we, we talked about it on, on, on our uh, show we did Sunday that I would love to see this horse uh, run at Gulfstream Park going a mile and an eighth because I think that that wouldn't really necessarily be a problem for him. Now, if you're, if you're going to get a mile and an eighth and you might not be a mile and an eighth horse, Gulfstream Park is the place to do it. Uh, unfortunately, from what I understand... Uh, the stallion deal is wrapped up, and he's got some uh, lovely ladies that are waiting for him. And I, I would imagine that that's not something they're gonna they're gonna uh, they're gonna pivot on. There's not a whole lot of equity in that either, from what he's already accomplished from a stallion standpoint. Winning that Met Mile has already convinced the breeding community that he has enough stamina and speed that he has a, ch- a chance to be a stallion. You know, the, the Met Mile is a, is a race that that uh, is is. Hasn't necessarily lived up to the hype of being a stallion maker, but I still think, and I don't think anyone would disagree that it is a stallion maker because it's a great combination of speed and stamina. It's perceived as such, and in the breeding business, like in so many areas in life, perception is reality. So uh, I I think you make an excellent point there, J.K., uh, Emmett, I think it's your turn. Yeah, perception is circumstantial. The TVG Breeders' Cup mile always goes to the Euros. Except this year, um, it goes to Uni, who is supplemented for a hundred thousand. Uh, gets Stormy back in second without parole, who was given a significant mention on the show. Did get you the show if you wanted, and uh, then we had some high-profile horses in behind. So, Pete, why don't you take it away here? Um, connections, Chad Brown, 
that man again on the turf supplementing for $100,000 and very much rewarded for doing so. She might not uh, have been training in uh, in Europe, but she was born in Great Britain. So you can you can claim her. You can claim her on that side. What a great performance. Uni, one of my favorites in training. I've made this joke approximately 97 times. I'm going to go for 98. Not least. I love her because I once won a head to head wager with Jonathan Kinchin where he had to shave his beard into a ridiculous horseshoe mustache and looked like a, a, a I'm, I don't know if this joke will translate, but I'm going to try it. Looked like a cricketer from the 1970s. And so I've, I've always loved, uh, I've always loved Uni. It was a championship level performance. Got Stormy ran much better than I thought she was going to on the day. And my favorite part about this race is I think there is a non-zero chance. I'm going to go better than that. I'm going to say, I think there is a chance that we could see the Uni Got Stormy rematch at Royal Ascot come June. That's what I'm hoping anyway. Oh, wow. So you think that they will they will travel over. What about you, JK? Do you feel that this form is, is strong enough to come over to, to Royal Ascot, that Chad Brown and Mark Cass, that they're going to want to travel? Uh, I, I know Mark Cassie will definitely want to travel with the success he had with Teppin, obviously. Mm. Uh, getting on the plane is, is, is not any issue for him. Um, I will say that for whatever reason, uh, Chad is allergic. I, I don't know if he, uh, if they just don't treat him well, if he doesn't get first class, the the, the <laughs> coach isn't good for him heading over there. I don't know what it is, but no chance uh, of that. <laughs> he's, he's he's been avoiding getting over there, but I think that the connections are, are going to push really hard for her. And and one of my favorite things when when we have uh, presenters from your side of the world come on our shows and is when they give us little nuggets that I can remember and use moving forward when I'm participating. And and one thing I'll tell you that we that I read recently and. Some of your listeners might not have heard, but Chad Brown was quoted as saying that this horse has the fastest turn of foot of any horse he has ever trained. And he's trained some good ones. So keep that in mind if she shows up, depending on what the ground is, how the race shapes up. Remember, this is Chad's quickest uh, turn of foot horse he's ever had. That is very, very interesting. And it's particularly interesting, the fact that the owners are very keen for a swing at the Queen Anne. That when you hear that, and we've seen the Queen Anne go to uh, go to international honors in the past, and it's not like we've got the deepest miling division right now. Unless something explodes next season, um, it is ripe for the taking. Uh, Pete, what was your take on the TVG Breeders' Cup mile? I was just super impressed by these two, uh, by, by the, the, the filly and the mare at the top of the market. I thought this was another case where the... O'Brien chances were hampered by just not the greatest get away from there. I was expecting Circus Maximus to show a lot more speed and mm. felt like he was just in a in a bit of a jackpot from the from the get go and ran creditably. And I was super impressed with the finish that without parole showed. I think that the addition of Lasix helped. I think that Chad Brown having a lot of time with this horse before. We talked about the positive workouts with bricks and mortar. I love the way without parole finished up his race, and I hope he sticks around. I think he could be a, a real player in our racing next season. There's no reason to think that he won't be in training next year, particularly when they've bided their time so much. Uh, and for that to be his first run, like I'd imagine 10 furlongs would be no problem for him in the States as well. And the addition of Lasix is going to help too. We'll see if that stays around. Uh, Circus Maximus, you mentioned, is it just another example of blowing the start really, wasn't it? I know he made up ground fairly quickly, but 
you're having to expend so much energy to make up that ground to then expect the horse to be able to continue that throughout the race and to the finish is just, I think, asking a little bit too much. Um, I think Circus Maximus is back next year, so hopefully we'll, we'll get to see him um, run to his true form. If that's the case, he may very well be taking on uh, Uni in the Queen Anne. It would be ideal that they both lay up against each other there, but again, another example of an Aiden O'Brien horse losing the race at the start. Uh, shall we move on to the uh, 11 p.m. our side, Pete? Absolutely. Breeders' Cup distaff. And we'll start this one with a story that our listeners are familiar with, but your listeners aren't familiar with, but I think you'll appreciate the story. JK made an ill-advised five-figure wager at Ooh. on the Kentucky Oaks. Um, we're talking about betting jelly beans, of course, not dollars, but five figures worth of jelly beans that Serengeti Empress would not win another grade one. He's gotten lucky a couple of times. She's made winning efforts, run fantastic races. This being another instance of that where she ran a race where she more or less did everything but win, cutting out fast fractions and just going down uh, a, a length and a quarter. So I'm sure, J.K., you were exhaling very hard, thinking you'd gotten away with one, that she wasn't going to win that extra grade one that would cause you to be on the hook for the 10,000 jelly beans. But uh, then how'd you feel when you got the news she's going to be in training next year? <laughs> I know. I know. I thought for sure I had one more bullet to dodge. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to settle out of court on this one. <laughs> see if we can't, uh, see if we can't make a deal, let them off the hook for a little bit less. Um, and, uh, yeah, but look, it's dangerous to make wagers after being at the Kentucky Oaks all day. Um, <laughs> if you know what I mean, <laughs> when you say let him off the hook, it's the other way around. He's letting you off. Yeah, the hook damn something. right. I mean, well, if, if in, I'm in all honesty though, I mean, she shot her shot, right? I mean, she's she had two or three opportunities to 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 bury me, and she hasn't done it. So she still has to show back up and do it. Um, and so, uh, you're, I see what you're saying, but I think he's getting off the hook a little bit too. If I, but he'll probably tell me to go to hex. So I'll probably just have to <laughs> have to ride it out and just keep holding my breath. Serengeti Empress wins the ballerina at Saratoga next year. You heard it here first. Uh, we got to give props to the winner, Blue Prize. Uh, was was terrific. I mean, she it, it it set up well. It was such an interesting. It was an interesting racetrack where it seemed like if you were trying to close. Actually, I'll let you. I'll go back to you, J.K. Because you made excellent points about this. Very unusual track. Very often, um, when it's hard to close on a track, it's to do in the USA. It's to do with the 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 rail being a very strong place. That wasn't the case here. But I still think there there there, there was a bit of a of a running bias. Would you would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I, I would imagine that, uh, you know, our turf racing and, and, and the racing uh, on the other side of the Atlantic, obviously saving ground and getting cover. These are all buzzwords that, that, that you know, signify a good trip. Uh, sometimes in American racing, just because the way that dirt racing is, is it's kind of just an all out go. Uh, you're better off just kind of being in the clear, not having any of that dirt kicked back in your face. And I think that's what, what, what helped Blue Prize. She had the, you know, quote unquote, poor draw being out in the eleven. But she also was clean. She didn't get any kickback that we had heard had been uh, pretty intense uh, for rider and horse. Uh, the way that the, the racetrack's configured out uh, in Santa Anita with the new, uh, I think they added some club cultures. I just wanted to say that, even though it has nothing to do with grass. <laughs> um, 
so I, you know, I think she was in the clear, and that and that really helped her uh, kind of stay clean and 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 have enough left for for the for the ride home when Midnight Bisu was running at her. Midnight Bisu, such an amazing campaign, uh, strenuous by modern USA standards, falls just short on the day, runs a, a pretty terrific race. What did you think, Emmett, of the the top two in here? I just like the fact that she's an Argentinian, and um, that, you know she she won a Grade One in her native country. This is her fourth Grade One. Um, she was fourth in this race last season, and she's shown the progression to come through. And she's six years of age. Like we're talking about, and look, it's completely different levels. Enable is on another planet in terms of uh, Blue Prize, but Enable is going to come back into training next year as a as a, as a six year old, which is fascinating. Aidan O'Brien was trying to convince Coolmore to bring um, Magical back into training as a as a five year old, and they were like, "No." Despite the fact that that Aiden was making a fairly compelling case, she goes to to stand at the paddocks instead, and and that's fine. That's a commercial decision for them. But to see a a former Argentinian, we've got a couple with Jim Bulger now, um, and we've a couple. Uh, in in training in, in Ireland in general, actually, with a, a number of high profile, uh, David Mernan's got got a couple of South American horses too. So it's it's nice to see these horses coming through, and it's nice to see that they're still in training, that they're tough uh, at the age of six. Because John Gosden has made that point about how horses come into their physical peak at the ages of five and six, and possibly even seven, and we rarely get to see it on this side of the Atlantic. Whereas over there, you're getting to see uh, Blue Prize improve from being fourth in this race last year to being the winner of the uh, Breeders' Cup Distaff this time around. And I thought she was a very, very deserving winner on the day. Midnight Bisu, I wouldn't take anything away from her. Serengeti Empress, let it ride, JK. Let it ride. <laughs> Just live, live through every race next year and let it ride. Can I, can I sleep on your couch if things go bad? Yeah, of course you can. Of course you can, my man. You got to fund your own flights, but of course you can. I think that's a great note, Emmett, to move it along to the turf and and put the microphone back in your hands. All right, the Longines Breeders' Cup turf was obviously going to be won by Europe, and Anthony Van Dyke absolutely blew it at the start. Uh, Bricks and Mortar, who you were saying could be Horse of the Year, uh, that man Chad Brown again, if you were playing him in the Lucky 15s or Lucky 69s, well done. That's uh, Irish and UK, final for on podcast reference. Richard Mandela with United finishing second. Van Dyke back in third. Um, Pete, we'll lead with you, my friend. Bricks and Mortar, possibly going to be Horse of the Year. I underestimated him, to be completely fair. I, I did think that Mount Everest or Anthony Van Dyke would have too much for him. Uh, he's ended up winning by a head, but he had more than that, to be fair. Yeah, I, I'm of the belief that the trouble in the stretch kept Anthony Van Dyke from, if not winning, at least going very, very close. But that's not to take anything away from Bricks and Mortar, who ran much better than I thought he would, and proof once again that uh, when it comes to decisions that you'd that historically it's paid to be skeptical about. Historically, it's paid to be skeptical about a trainer who at one point in the career says, this horse doesn't want to go that far, and then later says, you know what, no, he's settled now and wants to go that far. Historically, you'd want to fade those horses and say, you know what, the owner's probably pulling strings here, the trainer's just saying words, let's go ahead and be against that horse. I mean, I feel like for all of racing since I've been a fan, you would you were supposed to go against bricks and mortar in this spot. But nowadays with Chad Brown, 
with the way that he the, the owner doesn't pick the spot with Chad Brown. Chad Brown goes where he wants to go and does what he wants to do. And if he's going to make that decision for uh, one of his very most important clients, for one of his very most important horses with horse of the year on the line, I should have been smart like JK and deferred and at least had him in. But if Anthony Van Dyke gets the clean run through, I think it's a different story. I thought I would sound very bitter if I was saying that, but <laughs> that I, I really did. I thought I would, it would sound like sour grapes, JK, if I was saying Anthony Van Dyke wins this with a clear run. But having Peter lead the way, he does win this with a clear run, doesn't he? <laughs> like he he does. Like I know Bricks and Mortar is a really good horse, but if he if he gets out, if that clear run is there, if he's not boxed in, he wins. You guys should have seen the way Pete was talking down to me on Sunday morning. I I, I was on our airwaves the first time, but I'm doing it now. I was like Pete. He 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 got stopped, but it wasn't that bad. He wasn't. He was never beating Bricks and Mortar. And Pete tells me, listen to this, Emmett. You guys, I don't know what you guys tell him about himself. He tells me, he says, J.K., you don't understand how those horses run. <laughs> Whoa, my bad, Pete. Yeah, that's what he. That's what he told me. Oh, Sunday morning. Oh, it's all coming out now. Oh, it's all emerging <laughs> now. <laughs> Leaks from In The Money Players podcast onto the final furlong. Here we go. We combine both shows and all the info spills out. I have a giant ego. I demand to be called the boss. And you don't understand how the Euros run. Man, it's to be tough. Fair, to be fair, all I was saying, I, I hope I didn't use that tone. I probably did. I was, we, we, we were... We were getting after it there at Lucky Baldwin's in, in Pasadena. But the, it is true that, like, I think to many U.S. eyes, that amount of trouble, we're, we, we're so used to any turf horse who's good here being a quickener. The idea that that was enough to stop him um, to a lot of USA fans, I think they wouldn't buy it. But it is true when you're used to watching, like, these really galloping horses and how they get up to speed, when you take – the momentum away from you know an Aiden O'Brien galloping type horse it is it's more significant I think than it looks maybe at first blush to I mean JK I'll I'll, I'll now do something I never do and say something very nice about him uh, among the best race watchers I've ever seen and certainly better than me certainly certainly better than me watching live but I think that if you spend as much time watching you know the the, the Euro stuff as you did the USA stuff uh, I, I feel like you might have might have seen it a little bit differently. That's all I was trying to say. No, Much nicer I, now. I, I <laughs> no, I, I tease obviously. I mean, you did do that, but um, <laughs> um, I, I just thought that it was. I thought the trouble was slightly dressed up, but then you pointed out the idea that that's just the kind of horse he is, you know, because he looked done honestly at the half mile pole, and the fact that he kind of kept grinding away really supports the idea. That uh, that little bit of of of, of steady uh, really kind of caught uh, caught his momentum. So, um, but at the same time, like man, Bricks ran good. He didn't have the most comfortable trip. I know we talk about kind of getting cover and and being in the pocket, but he wasn't he wasn't neither one of those. He you know he was getting he was surrounded horses in front of him, behind him, to his outside, to his inside, and and he still ran on. I think he's a really cool horse. And um, look. I wouldn't have been mad if Anthony Van Dyke won. Those are the only two that I used, but I, I thought Bricks was best, and I didn't think he was going to get beat. Just in terms of Anthony Van Dyke, to, just because of the fact that he's an Aiden O'Brien horse and that we're going to see him next year, how much does his defeat in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf play on, on your mind, JK? Like, Do you just think that 
he's not that good, despite the fact that he is a Derby winner. No, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, you know, we had, we had, we've seen Aiden not have a ton of success in the U S um, and, and I think it's, it's, it's not crazy, but I think we're just expecting him to do so much better just because he is arguably the best turf trainer in the world and, and arguably one of the best trainers in the world, despite the surface. And so when, when he brings these horses over here and they don't run as well, I think often, uh, it leaves us a little bit more disappointed than we would if it was just, uh, Joe Smith bringing a horse over, but I, I it feels like he pointed Anthony Van Dyke to this spot. Maybe it doesn't feel like it. He did point Anthony Van Dyke to this spot. Um, and there's something about American racing that suits him with the, uh, the firm going. And, and I would imagine that that would be the goal again next year to get him to, to Keeneland where, um, you know, the ground will have a tad bit more cut in it. Hopefully not too much. Um, not, but, uh, you know, it feels like he, he's a horse that will find himself uh, um, on our soil sometime next year. Yeah, I, I would imagine we'll see him once or twice stateside, uh, possibly Arlington Million, but definitely Breeders' Cup Turf again. And when Aidan O'Brien held the Open Day for Irish Champions weekend and he was being asked about Anthony Van Dyke and the plans for this horse, he stated there and then that the long-term aim was the Breeders' Cup Turf and that he might not even take in the Irish Champion stakes, that they wanted... It was all about Santa Anita and heading for the Breeders' Cup turf. That was the main aim with him. So it's been the long-term plan, and it hasn't quite come off. It certainly didn't come off with Mount Everest. We've back to the drawing board there for us, Pete. Uh, maybe they might be better off leaving him in America and, and campaigning him over there instead. But these horses are going to come back next year with Japan. So we'll see what Aidan O'Brien can do. Uh, hopefully, they'll, they'll be better as four-year-olds. Um, that will then bring us on uh, nicely to the final and feature race. Peter Fornatel. The Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, obviously, uh, in on the American side of things, this has been dominated not by the story we wanted it to be dominated by, but by the, the breakdown of Mongolian Groom. It's uh, been dominating the news here, and it's a, it, it's a very sad thing, and it happened at, at, a, at a very unfortunate time. But Emmett, I think... I want to bring in your perspective because I do think the UK and Irish perspective is often very different when it comes to um, when it comes to breakdowns. I feel like as much as they are the worst part of the game, they are a part of the game. And I feel like in your racing culture, I think it's may, maybe even well, really, especially anywhere where where jump racing exists, they they're accepted more as opposed to uh, in the USA, where it seems like, unfortunately, the way the game has positioned itself, they've sort of advanced this narrative that having 0% attrition is something that's possible when anyone who's been around horses knows that it's not, that horses will unfortunately injure themselves fatally standing in a field, let alone running on a racetrack. And I, I was just curious to get the, the international perspective when, when something like this happens and there's so much hue and cry and people calling for and not that far away from potentially banning racing in California. But, I mean, I believe I believe that strongly about this question I'm going to ask you, and, and I know you, um, it's a loaded question. I already know the answer, but I'm just going to ask it this way. Uh, Emmett, is horse, is horse racing an ethical pursuit and why? Yes, it is. Uh, horses are bred to race. They are given better lives than many humans. If I take this to a very, very serious level, and this is real talk, there is a homeless crisis in the UK. 
There is a homelessness crisis in the Republic of Ireland. There's very little being done about it by the governments in question on, on both sides of the Irish Sea. And um, it came out the other day that there are 50 families made homeless in the Republic of Ireland each week. So right now, there is a family living in a hotel somewhere. That is a humanitarian crisis. That is an ethical crisis. And that is something that is deeply, deeply troubling and deeply serious. And I know that you've got a similar problem in America. That's a, that's a genuine crisis, and it's a humanitarian crisis that needs to be properly addressed and dealt with. That said, I'm a quite an emotional person, and I get very attached to racehorses. But horses are bred to race. This is their, their job. From the moment they are born, they are cared for, they are loved, and they are protected. I've had, through this job, the honor and the privilege of going to some of the biggest and indeed some of the smallest training stables training yards and breeding yards in not only the republic of ireland but in the united kingdom as well and the welfare and the care and the attention to detail that is given to those horses there is second to none um, i've seen horses who are looked after by four individual people some of those are vastly expensive stallions some of those are possibly nothing horses that they know nothing about yet but they need to look after them these horses are are mi minded like gold dust because at the end of the day it is the job of the people who choose to work in racing and some of them work in racing in not the best of conditions and for not a huge amount of pay because they love racing they love horses they want to be around them the very idea that these horses are being punished or that they hate racing, or that they're being made to do something that they don't want to do, is complete and utter fiction. And the narrative that gets put out there by PETA, who, by the way, are an organization who feel as though none of us should have pets. That is the mantra of that organization. All animals should be free. Nobody should have pets. Nobody should hold them at all captive. So how do dogs survive? How, do, how does any animal survive in the wild? And how does a racehorse survive when it's, when it's designed and engineered in the way that they are now, with the way they're bred, to have to have a lean diet, to have to have um, uh, covers at night, to be ha it, it needs to be in a barn. It can't just run freely in a field. Vitor was one of the most talented chasers that we've ever seen. A three-time three Cheltenham Festival winning horse killed in a field, just standing out there by himself, minding his own business, fell over, broke his leg, gone. It happens. It's a horrific thing. It happens. Footballers, we see NFL players snap their legs and it's their career over. The difference between a human and a horse is that when a horse snaps his leg or her leg, they can't stand. And it's been tried. It was tried with St. Nicholas Abbey. For weeks, it was tried with Barbato. It's been, it's been tried with endless horses. All kinds of techniques to do everything they can to save them. If a horse snaps its leg and it cannot sustain its own weight, that's it. It's game over. And that's horrific and it's terrible and it's sad, but it's the true reality of racing. And this broke my heart seeing this happen. What was said by, by the NBC anchor was, was interesting, whether there was an internal memo beforehand to, you know, by the way, if, if a horse does lose its life, hammer, hammer them, you know, come down hard on them. Um, but look, the, the reality of this is 
horse racing is an amazing sport. It is filled with 95% of fantastic people. There are always going to be some people who are questionable, some people who, wherever there's the opportunity to make money, they will try and, and take advantage of that uh, and will play dirty. There will always be people who will not play nice when it comes to animals. That's just life. That's just the human race. That's, a, that's on us. That's on human beings, and it's on us to regulate that. But the idea that the sport is in any way unethical, bollocks. Absolute <laughs> nonsense. It's, it's a terrific sport run by the vast majority of people who are absolutely brilliant and is supported by people who love it. That's great. Uh, speaking of, there's not, there's not, not, not much to add. I, th I think you said that all very articulately. JK, we'll come to you to, for, for the story that we want to be talking about when it comes to this year's Breeders' Cup Classic. Vino Rosso turning the tables on Code of Honor and everybody else, seeing out the 10 furlongs brilliantly and going on to victory at this year's Breeders' Cup Classic. What did you think of how the race turned out and the top finishers? Well, I think it was a great moment to remind everyone that uh, that uh, there's there's still a guy named Todd Pletcher out there, and he still knows how to train a good horse. Um, I, I think it's unfortunate with the success of some other people in the industry. We've kind of forgotten a little bit about uh, Todd and what Todd brings to the table, and, and he obviously uh, – he showed us and reminded us, reminded us with Vino Rosso. Um, you know, look, he, he made sense. He made sense. He, he had a run over the, over the track. And when he won the San Diego gold cup uh, <laughs> earlier this year, um, and, and he did that with, uh, you know, going a mile and a quarter. And then he, he had some, some time and, and ran well in the jockey club gold cup, although he was disqualified. So, um, he's a talented horse. Uh, really kind of fun connections of a very fun video on Twitter. If you haven't seen it of Mike Rapoli ripping some old man's face off <laughs> in, in celebration, celebrating hugging, but his, <laughs> his hand wasn't around the shoulder. It was around the face. It's yeah. very, very funny. If you haven't seen it, the poor old man's <laughs> trying to get loose, but Rapoli's grabbing his face. It's assault. But, uh, it's assault basically, but, <laughs> but in a good way. No, but he did it right. And, and, and kudos to Irad Ortiz and uh, picking up that mount when, when Johnny, uh, was was committed to uh, code of honor, and it worked out good for him with with Irad getting his fourth win. Uh, he had a pretty good day. Uh, I'd, I'd like yeah. to be his accountant. Uh, I tell you what, he he had a pretty good day winning a weekend, winning four Breeders' Cup races, and then winning the four million dollar turf and the six million dollar classic. Four wins at the Breeders' Cup. I'm told that's good. I'm told that's good. Emmett, from a racing point of view, do you have a, a quick thought on this before I hand it back to you for for your thoughts on the on the Melbourne Cup and we get this uh, this double show wrapped for final furlong into the Money Players podcast? Um, this was you and I and and Barry spoke about this race off air and and indeed we said it on air as well that this was probably the Breeders' Cup Classic that we were the least excited about and of all the races it was the one that we were the least interested in, in placing a bet on. Uh, I did stay up late for it. I was on Yoshida. I think he's finished the race now. Um, look, great for Todd Pletcher. I think, look, Coolmore had invested a lot with him. They're one of the major owners in the world, and they seem to have diverted their attention away to um, to uh, the, the main man, Wesley Ward, now. And I think that uh, by the sounds of what JK is saying, a lot of 
prestigious owners have have deserted Todd. He is a very very talented trainer. He always was, and I'm delighted for him that he that he took the classic. We've seen enough of Bob Baffert winning these big races, so it was nice that Todd came out uh, and and did it. No offense to the the silver haired assassin, but um, great training performance with, with Vino Rosso and uh, a brilliant, as you said, look a fantastic weekend for Irad Ortiz Jr. We don't really celebrate the American jockeys enough on on this podcast. He had. Uh, Breeders' Cup for the ages. That was just phenomenal. And um, yeah, delighted for Todd and delighted for Irad. Excellent. Now, I'm not nearly as up on the Melbourne Cup as I was uh, as I was hoping to be. I did see we had a, a controversial finish Ooh. down under. What was going on? G- give us the give us the rundown. Coach up our listeners uh, on what happened at this year's Melbourne Cup. Jesus Christ. Uh, where <laughs> do we start? Um I want to cry is the headline from Frankie de Tori. Uh, that should should tell you all you need to know. Um, Frankie de Tori has obviously been very synonymous with, with Flemington. He's he's gone there several times. So look, the big story is that the race was won by an Australian and and a genuine, true Australian. And they could not have said this more. They've they've got a. They have multiple boring speeches after the race for some ridiculous reason. And it was like, one for Australia, by Australia. Uh, Valen de Clare <laughs> is an Australian horse, trained by Danny O'Brien, uh, ridden by Craig Williams. Fantastic. Brilliant for them that, that the horse goes and wins. Master of Reality had run an absolute stormer for Joseph O'Brien to finish second under Frankie de Tori. Prince of Aaron uh, had run another stormer. He finishes... Back in third with Il, Il Paradiso fourth. Aidan O'Brien does not launch an objection, but the Australian stewards come in and they do. And in the end, father beats son. You have Master of Reality, uh, who is relegated from runner up spot back to fourth. Il Paradiso surpasses him up into third, and Prince of Aaron is moved into second place, having finished third. So, essentially, £607,000 sterling is taken from Joseph O'Brien and Frankie de Tori. And the fact is that, yes, he has moved in, he has drifted in, but he hasn't drifted in dramatically. And Frankie did move his whip to correct things. He did move his whip to correct Master of Reality. So he's taken every single precaution that he can, and they ban him for nine meetings. I, I don't understand it at all. Um, I'm very, very frustrated by it. Master of Reality still places, so if you've backed him each way, you know, you're, you're still getting paid out. But um, I wonder if, you know, it, at least it's not a case of the Master of Reality was second or the Master of Reality had won and it was an Australian horse was second and that that's how it came out. Because I think if that had happened or if the if an Australian horse was benefiting from coming second in the race, um, that would look really, really bad on their part. But Joseph O'Brien was on News Talk, which is a, a national radio station in Ireland today, uh, and he was on very, very early this morning talking about this, and he said, look, that's the rules they have in Australia. We have to accept them. All class took it with grace, went into the stewards' room with Frankie, spoke to the stewards, accepted the decision, and walked away. I suspect there's a Fantacan getting kicked somewhere, but <laughs> I thought it was a bit harsh, to be completely honest about it. And I'm I'm very much an advocate of safe riding. I don't think Frankie Dettori was, was out of line here. 
I didn't think that it was a, a dangerous maneuver from Frankie. The horse has drifted in. The jockey has tried to adjust his whip. Um, they finished the race out. Everything seemed fine. Stewart's inquiry, he's relegated to fourth place. Aiden gets third. Charlie Fellows gets second. But the big news is that Australia win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. It doesn't sound like the punishment fits the crime. I'll, I'll observe that. I'll also observe that I'm also glad it wasn't uh, taking down from winning. That's the kind of thing that if it had happened at uh, Aqueduct in the 1980s, they would have been setting garbage pails on fire. I, I don't know that that, that would be the scene at Flemington, but uh, it, it certainly would have made it all the worse. And we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you, JK, as an American racing fan, are you glad to hear we're not the only jurisdiction where there's a chaos regarding these uh, stewards' decisions in major races? Absolutely, yeah. I, I like to see other people suffer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Trading, obviously, um, but it's but it's but it's part of it, right? I mean, you know, we gotta we gotta figure out a way to uh, to hopefully make it as as clean and concise as possible. But it's not always the easiest thing to do. All right, Emmett. I think uh, I, I'm I'm hearing my daughter yell upstairs. I, I think my my witching hour has has arrived. How do we want to do the close on this show? Well, I think we'll close it by saying thank you so so much to J.K. and to Peter Fornital for for coming on the Final Furlong podcast. And from your perspective, I guess it's me uh, being brought on to your show. Uh, we're launching this off both platforms, off the in the money in the money players podcast and the Final Furlong podcast um, for regular listeners in the UK and Ireland. We're going, where's the jumps? Why are you not talking about Diego de Chamel? Uh, we will be doing that very, very soon. Don't worry. But the Breeders' Cup is once once a year. The Melbourne Cup is once a year. These are huge events. I love them. And uh, the numbers to the Breeders' Cup podcast were huge as well. So we had to talk about them. Lads, thank you so, so much for teaming up and for having me on the show. Really enjoyed it. And you guys are crushing it stateside. Keep it going. I hope that TV show is making a comeback. Uh, but more importantly, the In The Money Players podcast, if you're not listening to it on this side of the Atlantic, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen because the boys are knocking it out of the park. It's some great content. Thank you so much, my friend. And for folks who want to check it out, uh, the World Horse Players Tour is still up there on YouTube. Progress is slow in racing in general, but we are going to have some great stuff happening, news to be coming out in the next calendar year or so. Uh, and, and thank you, Emmett, for conceiving this idea. I've got to run, but I really had a great time talking to you guys. So from JK and Peter Fornatel from In The Money Players Podcast and from me, Emmett Kennedy, on the Final Forlum Podcast, thank you so, so much for listening. I will end by announcing the winner of our competition on the Tweet Machine, uh, giving away a Breeders' Cup hat, courtesy of ourselves. And at the races, the winner is Susie Cahill. At Girl of the Summer. It's a fantastic name. Susie Cal, you've got yourself a Breeders' Cup hat, courtesy of ourselves, and at the races. We'll be in touch, and it will be on its way to you very, very soon. We're back with more Jumps content very, very soon on the Final Furlong Podcast. Hope you enjoy it. We'll talk to you soon. God bless. Have you downloaded the free At the Races app yet? With easy-to-use race cards and form, Expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting is the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheraces.com forward slash app for more details. And that's going to do it from our side of things. I want to thank Emmett Kennedy, 
JK, and our friends at At The Races for helping us put this thing together. Thanks also to our partners, Ten Strike Racing, Black Type Thoroughbreds, and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation among them. Most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners who make this show so much fun to do. This show has been in part a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.